to greet someone. So I want to uh, share an answer uh, to prayer with you um, and just kind of communicate. Um, and, and, and has God ever uh, kind of surprised you by something? You weren't, you know, I say answer to prayer. Like sometimes you don't even pray for something and God does something. I mean, maybe you can experience that. Um, and so I, I don't think God's timing is, uh, God's timing is always uh, perfect. You know, we're in the midst of, as a church, kind of going through this disciples journey um, study together. Um, and so about a month ago, um, and again, I'm, I'm kind of highlighting our Tuesdays, about a month ago I showed up a little bit earlier and Trent said, hey, I want to tell you about something. And I said, go ahead. He said, have you ever heard of marketplace chaplains? And I'm like, I said, no. And I kind of rolled my eyes and I'm like, you know, in my mind I'm thinking marketplace chaplains, like someone sits behind a computer and says, hello, you know, whatever. So he basically, um, the next minute, said Marketplace Chaplains is an organization that gets hired by companies to provide chaplains um, that go into the company um, because the company cares for their employees. They want to provide mental health, spiritual care on all different levels for their employees. And I'm like, wow, really? And he said, well, I was supposed to meet with a guy today, but it got canceled, and uh, one of the uh, businesses in Brookville, Miller Welding, uh, just contracted with Marketplace Chaplains um, to basically bring chaplains in. And so in the providence of God, what the rolling of my eyes one second turned into um, wanting to hear more, and I met with the chaplain that, that uh, does that here, his name's Daniel, and just said, hey, tell me, you know, I want to learn more about this, which turned into Rudy, you know, um, prayerfully consider this, you know, amongst the elders, you know, some of you are like, I'm, I'm not leaving, okay, so uh, if that's what you think, you know, um, uh, but I did take, you know, um, applied with mar Marketplace Chaplains, and, you know, basically it's, um, you know, it's a five-hour week, an afternoon um, during the week to go, um, you know, here it would be going to Miller Welding, and you know, part of that time is walking through the, the offices and connecting with people, caring, listening, asking about family, friends, and then putting your hard hat, your steel-toed shoes, and going down on the floor, you know, with, you know, wherever, um, you know, uh, with the employees that are down in the welding area, whatever that looks like. And so um, part of this is, uh, you know, I wanted to let you know that because you, um, you know, God just kind of shifted, you know, you know, a month ago, this was not even on, a, on my radar. Um, and very much felt like God brought this across, you know, because what are we supposed to be doing? Everyday mission. And one of the frustrations as a pastor is I'm not around unsaved, unchurched people on a regular basis. I have to go change my schedule to do that. Now, and I have, you know, I've been on the chamber, um, and so even part of this process has been like, you know what, hey, if I'm, I need to shift some things around. And so 
I'm actually uh, in the process of uh, moving out of the, the chamber board um, because I can't do it all. And, and, uh, and so the more I've learned about this, it is a, a great opportunity and a great uh, fit um, and, and marketplace. It actually existed for 40 years. Who would have known? Um, so they have about 2,500 chaplains nationwide. Um, and, uh, and so I'm kind of in the, in the process of, of just doing some of the training um, with it. But very Christ-centered organization. They want the name of Christ to be exalted. But when you show up, you don't, that's not where you start. You start by caring, you know, all the things that what discipleship really is. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I would have never expected it, but God is allowed to do that. He surprises us. He brings things across our life um, uh, path, you know, in the process. And so, yeah, just want to communicate that to you, because um, I know uh, I shared it with the chamber board, and you know, and just resigning. And I'm just, I don't want Steve. I heard that you left Zion and took another job. Okay, let's put this in perspective. You know, that can always happen. So I just uh, want to communicate, um, and and that's you know, and for us. This is what God wants us to be doing. You know, here, let me read. Um, Amen. Amen. Thanks. Um, John 20, verse 21. This is what Jesus says right after the resurrection. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And that wasn't to the professionals. That was to every believer. We are the sent ones. We call it here, our core value is everyday mission. You're not going to be on any more of a missions trip than when you wake up today and say, Jesus, how can I walk with you? How can I share you? How can I care for people the way you do? How can I live out my faith all day long today? That's what God wants us to be doing. Just like a few weeks ago, three of you were in Israel. We're going to hear from the Israel team next week. And I'm sure when you're on that intensity, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to be on mission today, which is great. But God wants us to be living every single day of our life like that. We are the sent ones as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's for all of us. And so are we living being sent. And so as we uh, spend some time prayer, you know, um, and again, we're approaching Lent here. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. We're in this season of uh, moving towards the cross, moving towards the resurrection. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, are we living as sent ones? You know, as we've been talking through Genesis, are we listening to the Spirit of God? Are we listening to the Word of God? Are we willing to be obedient to whatever He's asking us to do? And so, that's what we need to be doing as a church, listening and responding. So I'm just going to, uh, as we pray here, I'm just going to go ahead and bow your head and hearts. I'm just going to give you 20 seconds here just to, wherever you're at, talk to the Lord. I don't, you know, tell him what's, what you're thinking, feeling, you know, in this moment right now. Um, go ahead and take a moment to do that. Go ahead and thank the Lord that he 
wants to use the redeemed to help others be redeemed. Take a moment and pray. I don't, I don't know who um, is coming to your mind right now. Pray for whoever is coming to your mind. We're going to let Jesus' words here from John 17 just kind of give us some direction as we pray. This is what Jesus prayed for his disciples. We are his disciples, and so um, let's pray for these things. I'll just read, and I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so go ahead and pray for um, those who don't know Jesus Christ, that, that you know, and 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 who are people that, that, that you're connected with, that you know their names and faces, that they don't know Christ yet? Go ahead and take a moment and pray for them by name right now. Go ahead and take a moment and pray. As Jesus says here, that they will believe in me through their words. That's our words. And so ask for God's help as we communicate who Christ is through our actions, attitudes, our words. And so pray for uh, yourself here, that God would speak through your life. Jesus prays for unity here, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. And so pray for uh, harmony and unity within the body of Jesus Christ. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so pray that this lost world would see Christ working through the harmony that's in the body of Christ. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So pray for the glory of God in this process. That God would be glorified through our lives. Father, we do thank you that, God, we don't have to walk this journey by ourselves. But you have gone before us. Christ is our example, that he showed us what it is to be completely submitted and dependent upon you, his, our heavenly Father. God, I pray for our ears, that we would be able to hear and discern your 
voice. God, our time that we spend in the scriptures, Lord, every day, that your word would dwell in us and guide our steps, that you would reshape our hearts, that you would convict us, God, where we need to be convicted, where we're off, where we're, where we're not even aware of it. Father, we thank you that you are a masterful surgeon and that you love us enough to do things in our heart, places that, that need to be changed and removed and made more like you. God, we pray for that as we look into the scriptures here of these next few moments. God, don't allow us to stay the same. Father, I pray that you would not allow us to be comfortable. God, when we're comfortable, we'll just stay the way we are. Everything's fine. God, you love us too much than to allow us to stay comfortable. God, work in our hearts. God, may this time that we have here together change our attitudes and our steps and the way that we view our workplace and our, and our families and, and the school and the grocery store and, and where, the, the, the shoe, where the sole of our feet goes, Lord, over the other 160 whatever hours during the week, God, that you are just as present there as you are here that we would be aware, that we would be in tune, that you would grow and increase our faith, God. And in your name, amen? Amen. If you have your Bible, open up to uh, Genesis 22. You know, we're going to look at the next uh, part of the storyline here. And uh, as you're turning there, um, I want to you know, bring up laughter. And uh, laughter can communicate a lot of different things, right? Laughter can communicate disbelief. Laughter can communicate belief. For example, this past week, I received a phone call from the Pentagon, and they asked me to join in one of the fighter jets that is flying around shooting down the balloons up there. You don't believe me? Okay, that really didn't happen. You're demonstrating sometimes you laugh when things aren't true, okay? But the same thing is true. There's times that when amazing things happen, sometimes we just stand back and laugh out of, God, I can't believe you did this. It's just staggering to me. Staggering to me. Um, you know, for me... And I think we've shared this just with this whole, our, our teenagers and word of life and this donor that just said, hey, I'll write a check, whatever that looks like. It's just staggering. You know, what, what I love is I'm just the bearer of news. Like, I didn't do anything except received a phone call. That's it. But I can't tell you how many times I just sit in laughter saying, God, you are amazing. Well, parents, would any of you name your child laughter? Probably not literally. But that's what God tells Abraham and Sarah to name their child. No, not laughter, but his name, Isaac, means laughter. 
And so we learned that last week, that God, as things were getting closer, God gave him a name, said, I want you to name him Isaac, which means uh, laughter, because his name would remind them of two things. One, their disbelief at times. And we talked about this. Abraham disbelieved God. Sarah disbelieved God. And let's not look down on them too much. I mean, a hundred years old to have a child? I, I mean, let's cut him a break. I can understand. But God said Isaac is his name. And so uh, as the, the, the story turns here, we're at one of the major uh, parts in this story because God has fulfilled his promise. Isaac is born. We don't exactly know the time frame, but probably maybe about, you know, maybe 10, 15 years. Isaac's a, a teenager. Um, and God uh, comes to him, comes to Abraham out of the blue. And that's what this passage is about. This conversation, God initiates it. That's what we see God always doing. God is the initiator here. And, and so, um, and, and I think as, as we're looking at the story, what, what we see here is that God will not settle for second place. God will not settle for second place. That's kind of the negative side. Or to put it the other way, in the positive, God deserves number one in your life. God deserves it. Right? We just had a Super Bowl. And so who wants to be number two? Some of you are like, yeah, Mr. Eagle, ha, 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 ha. Like Ron's text this week, he's texted me, he's like, I should have asked him, I didn't ask him, but he's like, it was like Thursday, he's like, so did you get over, did you get over Sunday night, are you feeling any better now? I said, I'm over it, okay, let's move on. But my point is, there has to be, only one team can win, there can only be one number one, and there's a number two. Nobody wants to be number two. And the truth is, God doesn't want to be number two either. He is worthy and he deserves to be number one. And that's what this story is all about. So look in uh, verse, chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so what do we see here? God tests Abraham. He's going to test Abraham to see what is in you. Where are you at? And again, one of the things that we see here is that God gives this test at the right time. He doesn't give this test earlier. It's in the process of, you know, faith is about growing and maturing. Like, we don't arrive there at one time. It's a process. And so, for 25 years, plus now 10 more, Abraham has been trusting and believing and following God. And so, God takes the initiative here to test um, Abraham to see what's in him. And so as we think of, and again, remember, Abraham was 100 years old when he had his son. He was born by a miracle. He waited his whole life. 
And finally, he gets this son, and he loved his son. He raised his son. He, he prayed with his son. He tucked his son in at night. He wrestled with his son. He played ball with his son. He went fishing with his son. He went camping. Well, they are always camping because they lived in tents, but you get the point. He read to his son. He prayed over his son. He sang with his son. He loved his son deeply. And so God was going to test Abraham to see who was most important in Abraham's life. This isn't unusual. God God always tests people. Doesn't God test you? So what are some examples of how God tests us? One of the things right now, we've been talking about being a, a, a deacon, and Carl has put his name forward. And so part of this time of in-between is to test to say, hey, we, we want to make sure that you're a man of character. There's a, a time of testing that we see there. You know, for myself, and again, these aren't here, but, you know, over the last several you know, months or whatever, I've had conflicts in my life. And the test is going to be, are you going to be silent and passive? Or are you going to take the initiative to, to communicate? Do something about the conflict. Another test. You know, I've shared this, and you, you guys are get the front row seat of um, a year and whatever ago when Leah said to us, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking of going to Jeju Island in South Korea for college. And I was kind of like, where did that come from? It was a test. The test to see what is important in our house. Is it following the Lord? Or is it my comfort? God tests morally. Am I going to talk to my sons about purity and sexuality and raise the bar there? Because if I don't talk to them, someone else is going to be talking to them. It's a test. I share with you about, I know this week was resigning from the chamber. I don't like that. I don't like, I, you know, I have another year and a half to finish my term. I, I don't like doing it early. I, I just don't like that. I want to finish what I start. I think back to my college years. I remember I had a little uh, Dodge Colt. And how many of you know what a Dodge Colt? Four-speed. It's got like 38 miles of the gallon. It's one step above a motorcycle. You know, four people could ride in there. And so I remember in one of my seasons, you know, just praying and saying, you know what, God, if I'm depending on my car too much, if I'm, if I'm trusting in this car over you, I, I, I want to surrender that. A couple months later, I'm driving. I, get on, I can still picture the place. I get a, getting on the turnpike coming from York. I'm driving my little, my little car, and all of a sudden, <laughs> something happened. It wasn't going as fast as it was going before. And I made it back to college. Long story short, the engine head went out. God answered my prayer. If I'm leaning on this car more than you, God, take it out. He did. 
a test. It's a test. And so God is testing Abraham to see what's inside of him. What is most important to him? Would it be the promise of what God gave him, or would it be, the, would it be God himself? And so God asks him to do the unthinkable. I want you to sacrifice your son. And so how does Abraham respond? Well, we don't have to wonder. Look in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt... Well, let me pause. So, so how does a man of faith respond? He listens and he obeys God. There's no heem hauling around. He gets up in the morning and what does he do? He starts packing. God asked me to do that. He had questions. It didn't make sense. It didn't matter. He packed his bags. He got two men along. He said, Isaac, we got to go on a journey. And so look what happens. So Abraham rose early in the morning, verse 3, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And so he, he told him to go to Moriah. It's about 50 miles away. Okay, so it took several days to get there. Verse 5, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. See, that's what a man of faith sounds like. He doesn't know the details, but you know what he does know? God's got to figure this out here. I, I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know the way, but what I do know is that he is the promised son. He's asking me to take his life. This doesn't make sense, but somewhere, somehow, God has to do something. He has to do something, and it comes out in his word. I love it. We're going to come back. We're going to come back. Uh, verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. So now it's just, the, just Abraham and Isaac are now going the last, the, the last uh, journey. The two other guys, are, are, are his servants, are waiting. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went together, both of them went together. And Isaac said to, the fa to his father, Abraham. And so they're walking. They're just having, you know, who knows what it was like. But somewhere, Isaac is not, he's a smart kid. And somewhere along, he gets the nerve up to say to his dad, look what he says. My father, he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's a natural question. Look what Abraham says. Look what dad says. Dad, who is a man of faith, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. 
Isn't that the truth? But I guarantee Abraham didn't know what God was going to do, so it was true. All he knew was God has to do something here. God will provide. God will provide. So what happens? Look in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, as we read that, I think a lot of times we think, oh, yeah, sounds great, Pastor. That is wonderful. So I think we need to put it in perspective, okay? We need to see that, you know what, this is real life. So you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit, all right? Y'all have your imagination on? All right. So pretend this is the altar, okay? Now, I know altars would be stone, you know, they would be stone, and then you put wood on top because there was a fire. It couldn't be all fire, you know. So this is the altar, all right, that Abraham uh, built. So we, we, need, we need an Abraham. We need an older man. Go ahead, Bill, stand up. Okay. And we don't just need uh, Abraham, but we also need a young man, an Isaac. Go ahead, Will. And so they come up, come on up, we're just going to kind of put this in perspective a little bit. I didn't give them things to carry. And so think about this, they, they build the altar, 115 years old, just say 15, okay, just use rough numbers. And Abraham says to his son, you... are going, exactly, he probably wouldn't have been able to say it, okay? And so think about this. If Isaac didn't trust his dad, do you think he could either run very far away or take take his legs out? Right? So we see Abraham's faith. But what we also see is the faith of a child. He trusted his dad. Because if he didn't, he could have been out of there. Go ahead. Good job. Thanks. Told you you didn't have to say anything. But I think just to put it in perspective, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we don't realize that, you know what, this is life. Think about if you're there. And so Abraham ties his son. He puts him up on the wood. He is obeying God. Oh, continually. To the point of he has his hand up with the knife. Look in verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And I don't know whether it's coming down, it doesn't matter. But what we know is, who's in control? God's in control. God is always in control. 
And so what do we see here? Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Same thing that he said earlier. Here I am, God. A man of faith is always listening for the voice of God and responding to it. Verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you... Fear God. Or another word there would be, I think a lot of times we see that we're like afraid of it. No, no. That you revere God, that you obey Him, that you respect Him, that you love Him, that you're willing to do what God asks you to do when it's hard and uncomfortable and doesn't make sense. And humanly speaking, how in the world can this all be worked out? God was testing Abraham, and Abraham, te- he passed the test with flying colors. Because he loved God more than he loved his son. He loved God more than the promise, the promise that was there. And think of all that was going into that. God was the most important person in his life, more than his wife, more than his children, more than his, you know, when he was a rich man, more than any of those things. He loved and revered God. And that's what God was revealing. God was revealing that. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so what do we see here? God provides. God provides through faith and obedience. Through faith and obedience. I think one of the things that we forget about God is that, and, and, and we're reminded all through Genesis and really all through the Bible, and even today, you know, we think God's just like us, that we can just approach him however we feel like it. But that's not true. Because of our sin, we can't approach, approach God without blood. We can't. Now, that doesn't have to be messy, but that's what the whole Old Testament was about. You don't come into God's presence however you feel like it. You come into God's presence with the blood of an animal because our sin always kills. Kills. And so we're seeing that lived out here too. We know this story is part of God's greater story because that Mount Moriah, just not too far from there, Mount Moriah is right in Jerusalem. Did you guys get to go to, did you go to Mount Moriah when you were in Jerusalem? Okay, I wasn't. Now there's all these big mosques and, you know, they're fighting over all that stuff. But, but the point, we know the story in a sense of this is really about God the Father would sacrifice his son. Jesus Christ would die. Abraham got to, had a redeemer. God the Father didn't. His son truly died. Why? Because God loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you so much that he was willing to allow his son to pay the penalty and the punishment of our sin and it cost his son life. 
Because that's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants a relationship with him. It's one of my favorite uh, verses. Um, uh, Romans 8, verse 32, puts it in perspective. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Abraham had a, a different way. God the Father didn't. Because that's the only way sin could truly be paid for. And so as we come back to the whole story, what is the whole story about? Again, it's God will not settle for number two in your life. And so that's the challenge, I think, for us here. So we hear this story, and don't, 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 don't minimize what took place because it's about us today. It's about you today. God is not asking you to literally sacrifice your own child, but he is asking you, am I number one in your life? Do you love me more than your children or your marriage or your car or your fill-in-the-blank, your job, your, what, your bank? Do, do you love me more than those things? Is God, the living God, the most important thing? And you know what? That's why we're going through trials in our life. It's revealing where we're really at. Because we all know it's easy to say. Peter said, Lord, I'll, I'll die for you. And not 12 hours later, he was denying him how many times? Three times. It's easy for us to sit here and say, no, no, I love Jesus. We... It's easy to say that. But to live it out takes surrender takes a willingness to look what's really in our heart. And so that's what we see. And so I think for all of us, I mean, all of us as parents, it's real easy to see the perspective. But I think for the teenagers in here, or young adults, I think it comes down to the, simply, the simplicity of, are you looking for your value and worth are you looking for it through the crowd and what your friends say? Or are you willing to listen to what Christ has to say? Where does he say your value and worth comes from? It's where God tests us. So the question all week is, how do you, God, what do we do? How do you end a sermon? How do you end it? I don't know. I don't have the answer. Do we invite people to come forward and surrender? I don't know. I'm not sure. But the question is, are we listening and obeying what the Spirit of God is saying? So I'll invite the worship team to come up and we have several songs to sing.
But my encouragement is, don't allow the religious things that we do here to get in the way of you obeying what God wants you to do.